So we're going to be in back in the book of Exodus, uh, Exodus chapter 25, as we continue our Bible study, uh, looking at the uh, tabernacle and the different parts of that tabernacle, and see what all that points to, amen? And again, I uh, hope this has been a blessing and a help to you. Uh, maybe give you a little new understanding as you read through that uh, when uh, you do your Bible reading, and you understand what it was uh, God was trying to do and to signify when he commanded Moses to build the tabernacle and all the parts that pertain to it. And again, let me just remind you, folks, everything God does, he does for a purpose, he does for a reason. Nothing is an uh, accident by God, amen? And in fact, uh, the tabernacle and all the stuff that uh, Moses was commanded to make uh, was a pattern of what's already in heaven. And again, folks, that means this. When you get to heaven one of these days, we're going to see this there, amen? And so you'll get to see exactly what it was the children of Israel uh, uh, partook in there in the wilderness. So if you find your place, Exodus chapter 25, and uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 31, and we'll read down through verse 37. Exodus chapter 30, I'm sorry, 25, verse 31. And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold, of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bolts, his knobs, his flowers shall be of the same, and six branches shall come out of the sides of it, three branches of the candlestick out of the one side, three branches of the candlestick out of the other side, three bowls made like unto almonds, with the knob and a flower in one branch, three bowls made like almonds in the other branch, with the knob and a flower, so in the six branches that come out of the candlestick, and in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like unto almonds, with their knobs and their flowers. And there shall be a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. Their knops and their branches shall be of the same, and it shall be one beat work of pure gold. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. Let's pray. Lord, we love you tonight. Again, we thank you. We praise you for allowing us to be in your house, God. Thank you, Lord, for the gathering of your people, the singing of your praises. Uh, Lord, as we take our uh, our time here tonight and uh, we turn our attention to your word, we ask that you speak to us. We ask you to help us, God. May our hearts be drawn closer to you for the study of your word. We love you and we thank you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So, so far, as we've uh, looked at the tabernacle, uh, we've looked at what's known as, uh, sometimes you may hear, hear it referred to as the tabernacle furniture, or the different parts that made up the tabernacle. The first thing we looked at was the brazen altar. And the brazen altar, when you came into that outer court, that's the first thing you came to. And of course, that altar was a picture of sacrifice. And again, folks, it's no surprise that before you can get very far at all in your relationship with God, you must come to the sacrifice of the cross. Amen? And that's how a relationship begins with God. It begins with accepting Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And only then, once you're saved, can you begin this, this magnificent journey called the Christian life? But it begins at salvation. And that altar was the first thing you'd come to in that outer courtyard. The second thing that you'd come to was the was the, la, the labor of brass. And, of course, this represent cleansing and represent how that the priest had to be clean so they could do the work of God. And, again, folks, uh, uh, the blood of Jesus saves us and cleanses us from all of our sin. But we must constantly make sure that we're clean before the Lord. Amen? Not getting saved again. Our eternal sins were paid for on the cross once for all. Amen? You don't have to get saved over and over and over. 
over. Once you get saved, you got it forever. Amen? Because that's the uh, type of God we serve when He gives you eternal life. By the way, you don't get eternal life when you die. You get it the second you're saved. And God doesn't take that away from you. But here's what you find out. As you minister, as you go about trying to serve God, you pick up the filth of the world on you. Amen? You men that work out in the world can testify to that. It's a filthy, rotten world out there. And listen, folks, we've got to clean ourselves up. That brazen labor represent being spiritually clean so that we can do the work of the Lord. Well, then as you begin to enter the tabernacle itself, the structure, you'd walk in and you'd, you'd see some things there. The first thing you saw uh, was the, uh, uh, the table of showbread. And we talked about that uh, uh, <clears throat> last week, the table of showbread. Uh, it was on the right-hand side or the north side of that inner tabernacle there. And that table of showbread represents fellowship. And it represents uh, the fact that God wants to have a personal relationship so that we can fellowship with our God. Amen? And, of course, it also represents our substance as the Word of God. But that table of showbread was right there on the right-hand side or the north side of the tabernacle. Now let's look at the next piece tonight, and if we have time, we'll look at two, but we'll for sure look at this one, all right? So uh, as you go into that inner um, that inner tabernacle there, uh, on the right side was the table of showbread. On the opposite side, so it would be on the south side, was the candlestick, the golden candlestick. Now, uh, sometimes the Jewish people refer to that as the menorah, but uh, let's look at it according to what the Bible calls it, the, the, the golden candlestick. Now, I don't know if you uh, understood what I just read to you or not, but I'm going tell to you, tell you right now. What we just read about this golden candlestick isn't something you find at Hobby Lobby for 1995, okay? I mean, this thing was a piece of artwork. I mean, it was made, the Bible says, of pure beaten gold. And it wasn't just this big, ugly bars of, you know, or shaped uh, form of gold. No, did you read what it talked about there? It talked about how that the, the, the knops and the flowers, I mean, this was a beautiful work of art. But it wasn't just there to look beautiful. It was to, how about this, lighten the tabernacle. By the way, again, notice the singularity of the things of the tabernacle. How many entrances was there, church, into the tabernacle? One. One. Guess how many sources of light there was in the tabernacle? One. One source of light. And this, of course, was the candlestick. And the point of the candlestick was to give light. Now, what's interesting, and, and we're, we're, I'm a man, that the parallels here are phenomenal, okay? But what's interesting, this golden candlestick was not lit with just candles, as far as wax candles go. No, this golden candlestick was not a uh, uh, lit by wax. It was lit by oil. Oil supplied the fuel for the candlestick. And by the way, that candlestick, it was commanded. One of the jobs of the priest was to make sure that that candlestick never went out. It never was to go out. Part of their daily responsibility was making sure the oil was poured into the candlestick so that that could never go out. Now, so many parallels here, all right? So many parallels. And uh, But before we look at those parallels, let's look at one more passage. Go to, to the book of Leviticus here. Leviticus, of course, that's just a couple chapters. Uh, or the next chapter past Exodus, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And, of course, I've already told you this, but the word Leviticus has to do with the tribe of Levi. It's all about the, the priest and their, their, their priestly duties and what God expected of them as the caretakers of the tabernacle. Now here's what we see. One more description here. 
Leviticus chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. Notice what he says. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring unto thee, notice here, pure oil, olive, beaten for the light, to cause the lamps, notice this, to burn continually. Without the veil of the testimony, in the tabernacle of the congregation, shall Aaron order it from the evening unto the morning before the Lord, there's that word again, continually. It shall be a statue forever in your generations. He shall order the lamps upon the pure candlestick before the Lord the third time continually. You know what God was trying to uh, let the priests know? You are to always be, uh, do your due diligence continually, making sure that that lamp has oil so it never goes out. And there, 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 that, 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 light, that because it was so important as a light source, and because of what that golden candlestick represented, it was to never burn out. Well, was there ever a time that you can think of in the Bible where the lamp did go out? Well, take your Bibles and go to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. And, uh, of course, this uh, is the story of the unfaithful priest named Eli. And, of course, if you read about Eli, his life was an absolute disaster. Uh, the nation of Israel at this time was in uh, a disaster state. They were being, uh, uh, the, the, the Philistines were, were, uh, were, were attacking them, and they, they fell prey to the Philistines. But notice what we see here. Uh, God, of course, had to raise up another faithful prophet, and that's where Samuel came into play. But let's read just a couple verses here, because I don't know if you ever thought about this before, but it's a perfect um, uh, parallel to that, that uh, passage we just read in Leviticus about the land continually being lit. Notice what it says, First uh, Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And what you find out, because of the rebellious state of God's people, listen, you know what? The people said, God, we really don't care what you have to say. And God says, fine, guess what? I really don't care to talk to you. And it was a very time of, a time of spiritual darkness in the life of Israel. And by the way, notice here, notice the parallel, verse 2. And it came to pass at the time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim, and he could not see. Look at verse 3. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of the Lord was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. That right there, that's not an accident, folks. The Holy Spirit, by inspiration, put that in there. Because in a time when Israel was in spiritual darkness, you know what? Big surprise that they let the lamp go out in the tabernacle. You know what that meant? The work of God was not a priority. It wasn't what it should be in the life of His people. And by the way, because of Eli's unfaithfulness, you know what? He, God says, you know what? I've got to do something else. And, and that's why he called Samuel and raised up Samuel because Samuel was going to take the place of the prophet Eli because Eli was not what he should have been. And by the way, folks, it's so important here because here is where it gets practical for us, okay? Just as that candlestick was the light of the tabernacle, guess what we as Christians are in the New Testament local church in this dark world? Hey, you know what we are? We're the light. Amen. Amen. We're the light. Now, first of all, first and foremost, that candlestick represents the light of the world, and that's our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Go to uh, John chapter 8. We're going to be all over the place tonight because, man, there's so many uh, interesting spiritual lessons to be learned from this. John chapter 8, of course, 
Jesus here, uh, uh, what you read about in the book of John, several times Jesus referred to himself as I am the, and, and, and he gave something that he likened himself to. For example, he would say, I am the bread of life, I am the door. And notice what he says here in uh, John chapter 8 and verse 12. I love it. He says this, I am, then spake Jesus to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Amen. Let me tell you something, folks. He was the light of the world then, and He's still the light of the world today. Amen. Remember, don't get discouraged if it's dark out there. The darker the night, the brighter it shines. And He is still the light of the world, and will always be the light of the world. So first and foremost, that candlestick represented our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But guess what? Guess what? He's not the only light. Go to Matthew chapter 5. You know where I'm going with this. It wasn't that long ago we talked to the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5. And notice here, he, Jesus uh, real quick passes that baton. Amen? And uh, remember the song we sing on Sunday morning? This is where it comes from. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Amen? Because Jesus, yes, He is the light of the world. But guess what? Notice what He says in verse 14. He says, Ye are the light of the world. He was the light. By the way, when He was here, He got the fires going. Amen? Amen. He lit it up. But guess what? Now that He's in heaven, we are the light of the world. And we're to illuminate the darkness just as He did when He was here. Ye are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And they give it light unto all that are in the house. Here we go. Verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I guarantee you this year as I'm preaching on that theme, we'll get to those verses right there. Amen? Amen. But listen, what's the point of, of, of living the life God called for us to live and, and working those good works and being different from the world? You know why? So the, we can, through the life we live, as we've been set on fire by the Savior, illuminate the darkness in which we're living today. Amen? Right. And by the way, that's our job as Christians. We're to be light. We're to be salt. There Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, 13. And we're to be light. Salt to preserve, light to illuminate. By the way, that's why as a Christian, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God and you're living the kind of life God wants you to live, you know what? When you go places where there's darkness, people notice something about you. I will say this. I don't. When I go places, I don't put a sign around my neck that says preacher. I don't, I don't have a, uh, you know, uh, and I'm not against some of this stuff, that, you know, this Christian T-shirts and all that, but I, I, I don't wear those types of things. But listen, folks, you shouldn't have to wear a T-shirt. You shouldn't have to have a sign for people to know something's different about that person. You know why they know something's different? Because light just in your darkness, that's why. Perfect example of this. We're sitting over here at the B&B this afternoon, and I get it. It can be a frustrating place, right? We're sitting over there. And uh, some guy didn't have the right documents. I'm talking about a grown adult here, okay? And by the way, it's not their fault you don't bring your documents you're supposed to have, okay? So they told me to have the right documents. Grown man started throwing a fit. Grown man. I mean, standing up, puffing and puffing and, you know, rolling his eyes, stomped out of the B&B, cursing, screaming and cursing because he didn't bring the right paperwork. But I guarantee was probably, uh, I already explained to him what he had to bring, but it wasn't there. Huffing and puffing, grown man. Now, I'm not trying to just 
you know, brag on my own son here, okay? But here was Jeremiah in there. And, and every time, every question, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Uh, thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Let me tell you something, folks. Nobody had to, and they didn't say anything. They didn't make any comments to us. But I guarantee you right now, they knew something was different. That's right. Knew something was different. Amen? Now listen, folks, that ought to be the testimony of every single Christian every place we go. You know why? Because we're light in this dark world. You ought to be impacting people everywhere you go. I'm not saying that everywhere you go, you're going to lead everybody you talk to to Christ, but you ought to be making some kind of impact. You ought to be shining bright in this dark world. And so that candlestick was lit that, that, um, that tabernacle uh, because uh, just as Jesus is the light of the world, we as Christians are to be the light of the world as well. Let's look at a couple more passages here. Let's go to uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to show you a couple things, and then I want to show you a very interesting truth that um, uh, something uh, about, uh, about in heaven about this light thing as well. Uh, let's go to um, let's say 2 Corinthians chapter 4, okay? And i got so many references written down here. I want to make sure I get to the right ones. Uh, notice what we see here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And uh, let's uh, read verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Notice what we see here. It says this, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Now, what a powerful truth here the Apostle Paul was teaching this church, okay? And notice what he's saying here. In fact, if you back it up to verse 5, the subject is this. Paul said, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. So preaching Jesus, okay? Preaching the message of Jesus, the name of Jesus, is the fact that God uses that then to shine out of darkness. And by the way, shine in our hearts. Amen? That's what illuminated us to truth, is the preaching of Jesus Christ. And by the way, that ought to be the message. That ought to be the main message of Christians, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it's shine in our hearts. Why? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Man, that, that's a powerful truth right there, folks. And listen... You know what's going to, to, to waken people up to spiritual darkness? There's only one thing, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen? He's the only thing that can wake somebody up out of spiritual darkness. By the way, that's what's going on in our world right now. Our world is in, is in, is in a uh, horrible state of spiritual darkness. People are wandering around kind of trying to you know, uh, figure life out. And truth be told, what they're really doing is just wandering around the darkness. Amen? And you know what's so sad about that? Spiritual darkness here on earth will lead to eternal darkness in the lake of fire. Darkness. Dark, I mean, a, a life of spiritual darkness, an eternity of physical darkness. Amen? No wonder this world needs the light of the glorious gospel. By the way, that's exactly as we're given the gospel. You know what we're doing? We're punching holes in the darkness. Amen? Punching holes in the darkness. Again, I love that parallel there, there to Christ and the gospel and light and what it does. All right, let's uh, look over to uh, the book of Revelation. Revelation uh, chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Of course, uh, this is uh, the, the revelation or the revealing of Jesus Christ to John. I know sometimes our Bible says the revelation of John, but it's not John's revelation. It's the revealing of Jesus Christ is what it is. 
And what we see here in chapter 1 is when uh, uh, John was exiled on the island of Patmos. And, uh, of course, uh, uh, you know, uh, humanly speaking, they couldn't shut him up and they couldn't kill him. They tried doing that, so they stuck him on an island thinking, this guy ain't going to impact anybody else. How wrong could they have been? Amen? Because it was on that island of Patmos, Jesus Christ showed up, and now we have the book of Revelation. But it's interesting because when Jesus revealed himself to John on the Isle of Patmos, notice here what you see in verse 12. Man, this is good. This is powerful. And again, I want, I'm showing the correlation here about this candlestick that was in that Old Testament tabernacle, and it's traced all throughout the Scripture. Notice what he says. John's saying, and I turned to see the voice. I love that. You know, that voice of God, literally. Uh, John didn't say, I turned to see the person. Listen, when you're talking to somebody, you, you know, you know, if you're if somebody calls your name and you turn to look at it, you don't you don't say, I'm turning to talk to the voice. No, you you refer to that person. But the voice of Jesus Christ was so powerful. The voice of Jesus Christ, by the way, was so familiar to John that the voice itself is what he turned to 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 to, to look at. Amen. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned. What's the first thing John saw? Here's what he saw. I saw seven golden candlesticks. By the way, how many uh, uh, burning uh, candles or candlesticks were on that, that uh, piece back in the Old Testament tabernacle? There were seven of them. Amen? You keep seeing that word seven pop up. And notice what we see, verse 13. In the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man. By the way, again, John here is not seeing Jesus in his glory. Oh, I'm sorry, in his earthly body anymore. That's not what he's seeing. That's why he said, like unto the Son of Man. Because he wasn't seeing the Son of Man, he was seeing the Son of God. By the way, the Son of God who became the Son of Man. And when Jesus was in his earthly body, he was the Son of Man. But when he's in his heavenly body, he's the Son of God. Amen? And that's why he said, like unto the Son of Man clothed with the garment down the foot and girt about the path of the golden girdle. And he goes on to describe his vision, or not his vision, but his actual encounter there with Jesus Christ. But the point I'm trying to make is this. What's interesting is the first thing John saw when he turned around. He saw, he, he saw the voice, but you know what he saw the voice standing in the midst of? Seven golden candlesticks. By the way, those seven golden candlesticks are the seven churches uh, that were in Asia Minor at that time. And those were seven literal churches. And again, I don't have time to teach all these, these passages to you tonight. But what he's saying here is this. Jesus Christ was physically in the midst of his churches. By the way, he's still in the midst of his church today. Amen? And that, those churches are those, those candlesticks that are to, as we've already looked at, are to light the world. Amen? Just as the candlestick in the tabernacle lit the tabernacle, the church of Jesus Christ today is still a candlestick that lights the world. Man, what a, a phenomenal parallel there. Amen? Now let me show you one more thing that's very, very interesting. And uh, go to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Now, of course, I've, I've, I've talked through some of these verses before, but you know this, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, is the rapture, okay? And by the way, uh, the rapture happens at the end of the church age because Revelation chapter 2 and 3 are the letters to the churches after this. And remember, you always ask yourself, the Bible, when, when, it's at, when, when, it, when it says certain things, what's it saying in there? Well, what's the this it's referring to? After this, well, it's referring to the church age. So we know the rapture is going to happen when the church age is over, amen? 
What is that going to be? Only God knows. But I have a feeling it's going to be pretty soon. Amen? And so the rapture happens. And by the way, again, anybody that, that tries to tell you that Christians are going to go through the tribulation, listen, they just don't understand their Bible. That's what it comes down to. By the way, this is not just a Baptist doctrine. It's a Bible doctrine. You see it uh, all the way back in Genesis. Remember when Enoch was translated? By the way, Enoch, okay, is a type of the church. And Enoch got translated out before the flood came. And then the, the, the Noah in the ark is a type of the Jewish people who are going to go through the flood, okay, on top of it. God takes care of his people through the tribulation, but they're there for it. Enoch was not a part of that. In fact, it's pretty interesting. The book of Jude tells us that Enoch prophesied, talked about how the Lord was going to come with 10,000 of the saints. So Enoch, a prophet, prophesying about the coming of the Lord, and God raptured him out, which is a type of the rapture of the church. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to get off on that tangent tonight, but just understand something, folks, okay? That God is going to call his church out of here before the tribulation begins. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to hear it sit up here and tell you we may not face some tribulation, but we're not going to face the great tribulation. We're not going to face that because the church is, a, is raptured out. So yes, just in case you're wondering, this is a pre-tribulation church around. Amen. And uh, and I feel sorry for those who think that they're going to have to go through some of it. But that's not where I'm going tonight. Okay. Uh, look here, if you will, in verse five. Now, what's interesting is when John is raptured up into heaven, he sees the throne of God. He uh, sees him that sat upon the throne. And look at verse five. This description. And out of the throne, this is the throne of God. Here proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now again, folks, remember something. That Old Testament tabernacle was a picture of something. Okay? Everything in that tabernacle pictured and symbolized something. That golden candlestick had seven uh, arms on it that burnt fire and that lit, lit, uh, lit the tabernacle up. Right here before the very throne of God, the Bible says there are seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. Now it defines for us what exactly those, the, those seven lamps are, which are the seven spirits of God. You say, what does that mean? I thought God was a trinity. He is. So what's it mean, the seven spirits of God? Well, how, remember how I've always taught you that the scripture never contradicts itself. It always completes itself. Okay? Let me show you. Take your Bible. Go to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to answer your question there. What are those seven spirits of God out of those seven um, uh, lamps of fire burning there before the throne of God? And again, all this ties in completely together. And I think it's amazing how that God, uh, God puts all this together for us like this. Isaiah chapter 11. <coughs> excuse me. Let's look at verse 1 and 2. Okay, prophetic verse here. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch, by the way, notice that, capital B, branch. Jesse, okay, that is the, uh, the, the tribe that, that Jesse is David's father, all right? The tribe, the line of the tribe of Judah. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. Now look at verse 2, very interesting. And the Spirit of the Lord, okay, there's number one. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom, there's number two. And understanding, there's number three. The spirit of counsel, number four. Spirit of might, number five. The spirit of knowledge, number six. And the fear of the Lord, number seven. 
And so those seven spirits, here you go, they're all a, a, a part of the character of who Jesus is. That's what it is. So literally, folks, everything in heaven is about Jesus Christ. Every aspect of Him, every part of Him is, is somehow symbolized because later on then we see, we see Him as a lamb slain. Then we see Him as the Lion of Judah. I mean, every aspect of who Jesus is is represented in heaven. By the way, not just in heaven, but also in earth in these typologies. There in that tabernacle, all those things were typologies of Christ. So those seven spirits of God are the different aspects of who Jesus is and what He came to earth to do. Amen? Man, I don't know about you, but that's amazing to me how that uh, uh, God ties all that together. And again, all this is a typology of the tabernacle. One more verse here, and we'll close it out for tonight. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. Let's look at verse 18. Kind of sums it all up here in some practical application. Of course, we know the theme of of the book of Proverbs is wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the practical application of the Word of God. That's what it is. Knowledge is filling your mind with the things that you know you ought to do. Wisdom, then, is taking it from the mind and living it out in your life. So when you make practical application of the principles of the Word of God, that is wisdom. And that's the theme of the book of Proverbs. By the way, wisdom is one of the most important things you can have as a Christian. Amen? Wisdom. This sums it all up. Verse 18. But the path of the just. Okay? The path of the just. Uh, talking about the way that saved people are walking on. Okay? Is as the shining light. And then look at the last part. That shineth more and more unto the perfect day. You know what that tells me right there? That tells me this. As we're getting closer to the end of this thing, whether by death or trumpet, we're closer to eternity than we were yesterday. Whether by death or trumpet, we're one day closer. Either way, eternity is the destination. Amen? So here's what that tells me. As I'm walking on my path, if it says it's to shine more and more, does that sound like, does that sound like a backsliding as a Christian? Is that what that sounds like? No, if I'm getting brighter and brighter, if I'm shining more and more, by the way, I believe there's some reasons for that. Part of the reason is because we're getting closer to the source of light. Amen? As we're, as we're getting closer to it, we ought to be being brighter. But also, I believe it's referring to the fact that the more we mature in the Christian life, the closer we get to God, the less fleshly we are, the more spirit-filled we are. And when we're more, less of the flesh and more of the spirit, you know what you're going to do? Shine brighter and brighter. Kind of like God expects us to be going forward in the Christian life and not backwards. Kind of like maybe God says, you know, you ought, to, you ought to finish a lot further along than what you started at. Amen? By the way, I always remind folks of this because sometimes the devil wants to get on your shoulder and he wants to try to discourage you about your past and try to bring all that junk up. Listen to me, folks. God's more interested in how you finished and how you started. And whatever... Uh, wherever you started at, whatever that light was, when you got saved in Jesus Christ, lit your fire, amen? Let that thing keep growing. Let that inferno keep spreading. And hey, by the time you get to eternity, we ought to just be like Moses was, so consumed with it that you can't, I mean, our, our countenance shines, amen? 
And maybe not physically like Moses did, but spiritually. By the way, when you're around a Christian spirit-filled, man, they rub off on you, man. You can sense the fire inside of them. And that's the way it ought to be for us as Christians. And that, that, that candlestick back in the tabernacle represents those wonderful representations of Jesus being alive and us being the light. Hey, let's just go on out. Let's set this world on fire. Amen? And so let's pray. Lord, we love you.